Welcome everybody to Too Legit to Crit, a tabletop role-playing podcast hosted by two guys who think magic missile is what David Blaine calls his penis. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably true. Honestly, yeah, 100%. (laughs) He calls it his magic Uh, missile. I mean, it's the kind no, actually, no, I think probably Chris Angel more. That's more of a Chris Angel know, thing, I think. It's not goth enough for Chris Angel, though, is no, it? His, his would be an Eldritch Blast. <laughs> <laughs> Eldritch Blast all over their face. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> okay, my name is John Santana. Oh, I'm still Justin. <laughs> How are you doing, still Justin? How you been keeping, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. The construction outside my flat is doing my head in, but other than that, I'm all good, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. I have no construction outside my flat, so... Well, it's all right for all, some. All is good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, other than that, just just suffering the heat. I say suffering. I'm enduring the heat. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of what I call back home, to be honest. Yeah, same a little bit. I think the main difference, though, is like the buildings in, in those respective places are built for the heat, whereas here they're not. And that makes that it ten times true. worse. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Although the buildings where I come from aren't built for the cold, despite there being very cold winters. So, <laughs> you know, um, it's six to one Yeah. So oh, in the winter, God. you're all right. But the sooner, the moment the winter is, it's like, fuck me, I can't get warm. <laughs> so what have you been up to this past week? Um, oh, I got a couple new board games um, because I could. Um, and we built some characters. Well, we built a character. I'm intrigued. What do you mean? You were there. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, that. You Sorry, dumb, I thought you were talking something other than that. No, that. I, I, got, I got to build <laughs> the best character of all time. You did, you did. Do you want to tell the listeners the character's name? Oh, no, you can do the name. You can do the name. Okay, so the name of this character is Dick Richards. Oh, it's the best name ever. I do like the name. That was That is pretty cool. Um, so what you don't know, Justin. Oh, no. Is that my game yesterday was slightly delayed because people were doing life things. Yeah, life. It happens. It happens. So mm-hmm. those of us that were there, rather than starting the game and then having other people come in it was a case of do you want to build some characters oh no so there's more so there is now more so the, the crew gang bigger? the crew is bigger the crew oh. is bigger by by a factor of two. Oh, lovely yeah so for everybody who's, who's kind of unaware we've i've been kind of gushing over blades in the dark for the past couple of weeks and yes. uh we are building a crew huge crew a, a big enough crew for me to kind of go, right, who's available to play? Let's run a score. So yeah. So currently there are five members. One of them is my own character, just in case someone wants to run a crew, uh, and, run a and, score. And, and, I and one of them is the uh, the fantastic Dick Richards, inspired one by one of them is the fantastic the Dick Richards. <laughs> it speaks like that, see? Mm. Um, like, like a maxi kid. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we also have... I can't remember their names for the life of me. 
See, um, that's, that's why Dick Richards was the best. <laughs> you remember? Yeah, isn't I, it? <laughs> I, who can forget Dick Richards? I mean, it's just Dick Dick. <laughs> Dick Dick. Dick Dick. Uh-huh. But yeah, so we've got we we've got some muscle in the party now. Mm, and nice. We've also got someone who is a bit of a tinkerer. And- Ooh, lovely. So, yeah, it got to the point that we were building characters and just kind of going, should we just play this? Fuck off the other game. <laughs> um, I didn't want to go through character creation again for the other two that were, yeah. that were late. So we closed that down and went back to Pathfinder. Which, Fair enough. Um, my current campaign is continuing. They are in what initially seemed like a very idyllic town and now they are beginning to see that it may not be as idyllic. <laughs> and I'm really leaning on the horror elements. So Love it. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. In other news, we had our monthly Pathfinder Lodge meeting on Saturday. Oh. That was a load of fun. Ran a an undead based scenario which was which was quite entertaining ah um, so lots of steves lots of steves love steves it steves were everywhere good steves bad steves somewhere in the oh, middle steves somewhere in the middle steves <laughs> terribly bad steves as well oh okay so yeah it was it was a really good scenario I had a good good laugh and I've got another one coming up on Saturday oh nice one and there is also bit of um, news, which I can't quite share at the moment, but it is incoming. I posted a bit of a teaser on the in the Facebook group. Mm. But when I am able to talk about it, I will. <laughs> you but tease. until then, yes, I'm just teasing. You I'm just tease. unbuttoning, and unbuttoning a couple of buttons. Just <laughs> showing a bit of the old cleave. Oh my gosh! Just bending over and picking something up—that is what I am doing. Oh no! I dropped my great sword. Oh no! Oh, I'm all thumbs today. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, what about you? Have you been doing anything? Have you done anything with your campaigns? No. So, um, we we kind of we've. Not stalled out, that's that's the wrong words, but um, life has gotten in the way a little bit, but we knew it was going to, because when we made the plans to have these campaigns, um, there was like basically this whole month where people were busy. Um, so we knew that going in. So we are trying to squeeze in a couple more sessions here and there. Um, we were meant to be having um, like a bunch of one-shots and stuff yesterday. Um, but because of the heat and whatnot, uh, that didn't happen. Um, but it's coming up to my birthday week soon. And I'm hoping to get either a couple of games in and I'm definitely having a big board game night, which would be awesome. Sounds pretty good. It's a good way to mm. celebrate a birthday. Yeah, man. That's what I bought new board games for. I've got Dead of Winter back there. Go on, then. I consider me, colour me intrigued. It's a zombie what? survival board game. A zombie survival board game? Okay. Yeah, which is, it's it's like co-op, right? So we're all working together to achieve a goal, which is randomised. You draw from a deck, right, for what the goal is for that game. Right. 
However, it's possible, it doesn't always happen, but it is possible that there's a traitor in the group. Okay. Who's Tried working to their own that. ends. Um, and basically all, all players have like their own goals as well as just like the colony goal. Um, yeah. And yeah, one of those goals might be that you're a traitor, but there's only ever one traitor. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good. It's a lot of fun. I've played it a fair few times in the past, um, but I used to use somebody else's copy. Um, and whilst it's great having a copy with a friend or anything like that, um, it's nice to have your own, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, if it's a game where you can dick people over, then I may give it a whirl. Yeah, well, there's, there's a game in particular down that vein that I want to get for you to try because I think you'd love it. Um, it's a game about bank heists. Okay. It's right up your alley because basically there are three factions in this game. Right. One, one is the crew trying to pull the bank job. Another faction is the undercover police that have infiltrated the gang. So again, the traitor element. But then there's a third faction, which is a rival gang that has infiltrated the gang. Okay. <laughs> so you don't know if somebody's dicking you over because they're a rival gang, or if they're dicking you over because they're a cop, or if they're just being a dick. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's really fun. Because there's also like um, a guy who's in the crew who uh, has a, a feature called Sticky Fingers, which means that they essentially have to do the same action that a cop would do. Right. So it, it makes that whole thing of like, well, you did that, so you're definitely a cop. A bit harder because it could just be a crew member with Sticky Fingers. Hmm. And the, yeah, so there's like whole like I won't get too much into it because obviously that's not that's not what we do here. Um. But it's a lot of fun, and I think it's it's the kind of game that's right up your alley because it's it's like there's deduction, there's you know betrayals, there's because you can make alliances and be like, well, we can gang up with them, and like you could end up like teaming up with somebody who's not on the same team as you, and then when it gets to the big reveal, they turn their guns on you, and then you're like, well, fuck. <laughs> Don't you think with our friend group, everybody's just going to turn exactly. on everybody? Like, every single person. It'll be chaos. <laughs> every single person is going to try dick over every single person. I mean, think of our immediate friend group. Exactly. Just That's think I mean. of exactly. who of those people are going to be the, the wide-eyed sort of, oh, I'm, I just want to. Get through this together, guys. And friendship was, no, was the fifth exactly. element That's all along. Point. It's amazing. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna screw each other over. It's, and it's, it's, the, it's the same logic with Dead but uh, Dead but they like Dead of Winter. Dead but they like the video game. Um, <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, yeah, Dead of Winter because obviously the, the the minute somebody does anything sus amongst our friend group, we're all gonna be like, Nah, fuck him. Nah, exile him. Get him out of here. <laughs> I think for a friend group that is as close as we are, we are very, you know, very quick to throw each other under the bus when social social constraints are lifted. Exactly. You know, when we don't have any actual consequence, it's like, yep, fuck that guy. (laughs) Fuck that guy and the horsey rodent on. (laughs) It's great. I love you. You're the godfather to my 
children, but yet uh, my character's going to completely fucking kill yours. Exactly. It's amazing. Because it's going to be funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm getting loads of games like that because I think with our, I, with our friend group. I love group, our friend group. Yeah. With our friend group, those kind of games are just amazing. <laughs> Alright, okay. I am in- I am intrigued. I can't promise to be excited, but intrigued. That's- I'll- I'll settle for intrigued. Alright. They are board games after all. Exactly. <laughs> but speaking of board games... Ooh! What you got for me? Um, do you remember the, uh, theft of all of those Magical Gathering cards that we spoke about a couple of weeks back? Yes. Uh, somebody's been charged. <laughs> All right. And the reason I said speaking of board games is uh, the board game designers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the, the news article, there's literally like, uh, a CCTV still of them just like wheeling all of the boxes out on a pallet. <laughs> oh, it's priceless. I mean, they're not the brightest of criminals, <laughs> no, are they? No. I mean, they're literally wearing like their badges around their neck still from the from Gen Con. Um, but if found guilty, the, the the pair of them could face up to six years in prison and fines up to ten thousand dollars. Which, considering they stole three hundred thousand dollars worth of cards, I think that's getting off pretty lightly. Yeah, and. That is that is getting off pretty lightly, but mm. um. So have a look. So I want to know what what game it is that they were trying that they were there for. Um, that is a very good question. The pair of designers were identified partially due to their registration as exhibitors at Gen Con. <laughs> To showcase their board game, Castle Assault. Well, I mean, hey, they assaulted a castle of They sorts. assaulted a castle. They assaulted wizards. I mean, I may have a look. I may have a look. Uh, castle Assault. <laughs> I swear to God, if it's a game about, like, like being a thief or something, I'm going to actually piss myself laughing. <laughs> okay, so this is on Board Game Geek. Yeah. Uh, I'm just loading it up now. Well, while that's loading... It seems uh, to be ta- like a tower defense game. Okay. It's a unique game. In- and by the way, this isn't me advertising for these guys, but come on, let's face it, they're going to jail, so they may need a few extra sales. Oh, yes. <laughs> Castle Assault is a unique gaming experience, combining the ferocious onslaught of tower defense games with the strategic elements of CCGs and progressive advancement of RPGs. I mean, I don't know, if 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 these criminal masterminds are putting together any kind of strategic gameplay, I don't have high hopes for that game. I'm no, I... <laughs> I really don't. Each player controls a castle on either side of the battlefield with 10 health and a hero outside of the battlefield. They play units from their hand. Yeah, it sounds very complex. I, I, I've i lost interest. Yeah. But then again, it's a board game. Um, so... And uh, it's brought to you by the minds of let's steal $300,000 worth of merchandise while wearing identifiable badges that, are, like... It's like... It, it would be like if I went and stole a car and while I was stealing it, I recorded myself doing it, posted it on social media with my name, social security number, and, like, address, 
and then was shocked when the police arrived at my door. <laughs> like, that that's what they've done, right? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the funny thing is, where is that? Because I've, I've, I've got the tab up again. Because the part that made me laugh, uh, I've kind of lost... Yeah, it's a um, pair of designers identify blah, 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 showcase their board game, Castle Assault. Though Polygon reports that the pair changed their names to Scott Fisher and Ashriel Lockhart sometime <laughs> after the alleged theft. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, but in the, on the bright side, the police did manage to uh, recover all of the stolen merchandise as well. So they didn't get anything out of it. They didn't even manage to sell any of the cards or open any of the like packs or anything before they got arrested so in my head canon these two committed the crime whilst wearing fake mustaches <laughs> oh, that's it that is head canon for me now that is they were wearing their phone <sighs> my name is Ashriel Lockhart or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> oh yes well, I don't know how they found us there it was insane detective work I'm from Nottinghamshire in England. (laughs) Honest. (laughs) Oh, my God. Magic? What is magic? Uh, Well, I mean, on on a slightly lighter note from Wizards, um, obviously, they're they're happy because they've, you know, had $300,000 worth of merchandise returned from the police. But... We've also had uh, a new playtest packet go live on D&D Beyond. Um, Please tell me one of them's a rogue based on these two fucking geniuses. No. No, that's that, m- that might come in the future. <laughs> no, so this if, has... Um, honestly, if, new- I were wi- if I were wizards, oh, absolutely. Or, or like make them an NPC in an adventure path or something. <laughs> Just two bumbling fucking wet bandit type yeah. criminals. <laughs> the sticky bandits from... <laughs> They call them the card sharks. <laughs> oh, more like card guppies. <laughs> um, no, so it's um, it's got a few more um, class updates. So this one focuses on barbarian, fighter, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. So there's a new path of the world tree subclass for barbarians. And some right. updates to existing ones. Um, and when you attack recklessly, this is actually pretty cool, and it's something that I used to house rule, and I just realized that it house ruled this, because um, uh, it was just the way I played it. When you attack recklessly, it's for the full round, not just that one turn. Okay, yeah. Because that always used to bug me. It's like, I'm going to swing this one attack recklessly, and then the rest I'm really going to laser focus. Like, no. If you're swinging recklessly, you're swinging recklessly, my guy. Um, So I like that change. That's a good change in my mind. I think that was something that we discovered quite further down the line Mm. in Pathfinder 1st Edition with Power Attack. Yeah. Um, And it's been a while since I've played, but I do believe that we were... We were just playing it like, okay, so this attack going to be power attack, this attack isn't going to be power attack, yeah. and no, we were playing it all fucking wrong. Yeah, yeah. And apparently the rules were, yeah, if you power attack, you're power it's attacking for the round. For the round, yeah. Which well, makes sense, to be honest. Exactly, and, and, and that's essentially what they've done with the, the reckless attack as well. Um, yeah. So it's, it's now for the full round, um, you are attacking recklessly and swinging your 
weapon around like a crazy person, which fits the barbarian quite well, I think. Mm. Um, and their brutal critical is getting a damage buff, which is awesome because the brutal critical that barbarians have is so cool. Okay. Basically, you get to roll extra dice on top of your crit dice as well. Ah. Critical with the barbarian. Um, so fighter got a new subclass, the brawler. Uh, excels at improvised weapons and unarmed strikes. So again, more things to make monk not something anybody's going to play because they've basically <laughs> given fighter a monk version. <laughs> yeah, it's the monk is definitely getting shafted in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's because like D and D players as a whole have been complaining that monk is underpowered for so long. Wizards were like, "You want to see a monk underpowered? Powered? We'll show you an underpowered monk." That or they're saving like all of the big monk changes for like the last playtest or something. A monk's gonna come out and just be fucking insane. <laughs> Fingers possibly, crossed. Fingers uh, crossed. Possibly, or or maybe they're just wanting to kind of remove the monk entirely. Possibly, yeah. And, I mean, it might be something they're looking to do and have the monk's presence be replaced by more like a subclass flavors or, of yeah. other classes. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe they the might do something with a rogue, for example. Well, I mean, they've already done it with Bard and Fighter. They've got yeah, two, so. two subclasses in there that are kind of replacing the monk. Um, other stuff that the fighter's got is some more uses for Second Wind, which is quite nice. Um, because that was always a bit of a lackluster ability. Um, so it just lets you heal a little bit, like, during a day instead of... Yeah, it was a bit lackluster, so try and expand the use of that, which is quite nice. Um, and then Battle Masters had some maneuvers updated, which is always nice because those were getting a bit. There's a, there's a lot of maneuvers in the Battle Master list that are just, nobody takes them. Um, yeah. So it's nice to, to to see some updates there. Um, Sorcerer innate sorcery, which is something that I think is a really cool addition to Sorcerer because of what they are. Um, it empowers your spell casting for a limited time. So it's a bit like that. Uh, you're getting that like overflow of energy inside of you. So your spells are a little bit more potent for a little period. So I quite like that. Uh, and wild magic sorcery now more reliably allows you to roll on the wild magic surge table, which is cool. That was my big, big issue with wild magic sorcery is rolling on the table happens so rarely that it's like it's a point it used to be a pointless subclass almost hmm. so you only used to roll on the wild magic surge table if your dm asked you to roll so what the way it would work is any, anything first level or above the dm could ask you to roll an additional d20 that that additional d20 if you roll the one on it then you roll on the wild magic surge table so it almost never happened right Unless you mean, yeah. in which case it happened every time the DM asks you to roll it. But for normal people, it, it n- almost never happens. So the fact that they're getting you more reliably rolling on that is pretty cool because then you get to use the features of your subclass a bit more, which is quite nice. Um, for Warlocks, they've brought Pact Magic back, which is good because that was something that people were not happy about. Uh, yeah, your patrons- I don't know what Pact Magic is, to be honest. Um... <laughs> So it was something that they they tried taking away and everyone went, no. <laughs> so they listened, which is good. That's, it seems to be that Wizards have decided that listening seemed to work out well for them. 
So they're going to keep doing it, which is nice. Um, your Eldritch Invocations are now available at first level, which is awesome because you used to have to wait until, like, I think it was like third level for that. Um, I think a lot happened to classes at third level. In, in yeah, it did. And it looks like they've they've brought a lot of that back down to first level now, which is quite nice. So you start to see the flavor of characters straight away rather than having to wait three levels, which is quite nice. Um, and th- this is quite this is quite a cool one f- that I, I I like the addition of. Your patron spells are always prepared. So when you select your patron as a warlock, you get access to a bunch of spells specifically for that patron, right? Because they're the ones right. that are giving you your your magical ability. Um, but they always used to be spells that you would still have to prepare if you wanted to use them. So you kind of never did because they they weren't always the most like desired spells. But now having them always prepared is quite nice because it just expands your spell list a bit. Um, and then the wizards, uh, their spellcasting feature now allows them to swap out a cantrip each long rest, which is cool. Because um, your, your cantrips are always kind of a bit trickier to keep on top of. Um, and memorize spell is now a feature. So modify spell and create spell have been uh, nixed. So you can't modify a spell and you can't create a spell, but you can memorize one, which I'm guessing means you you never need your um, spell book to cast it. You just know that spell. No, if you're guessing, I've got no fucking clue. (laughs) Well, I haven't, I haven't logged into D and D beyond for a couple of days. So I haven't seen any of these in the, in the playtest document yet. So I need to go through them a bit more. Are you allowed to not log into D&D Beyond without the Pinkertons knocking at your door? Maybe that's what was outside earlier. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what they were trying to intimidate you into using their product. I better log back in quickly. Yeah, get logged in, because if not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not not worth the risk, man. Not worth the risk. Not worth it, man. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's... That's about it for the the, the new playtest stuff. Um, I'll have a little bit more of a, a dive into it over the, the coming days and I'll maybe give you a bit more of an update on my thoughts next time. Yeah, speaking of that, um, one of the players, not at my table, at the other table mm-hmm. on Saturday, actually played one of the the playtest uh, classes for Pathfinder. Oh, okay. I think they played the Animist, so mm. I do need to get in touch with him and see how that went. And completely, now that you just reminded me of that. I completely forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, oh, that that was the the one that I liked the sound of, wasn't it? The animist. Yeah, it was. It mm. was essentially where you kind of um, sort of internalize spirits, mm. and you obviously gain some powers. Yes, because yeah, of that, I've, there, I've yeah. built one, and they do seem interesting. They've got a spell list. But their spell list is one plus one at each level. Okay. So basically you get the spell that you get for being an animist, and then the plus one is the spell that's granted to you depending on which Spirit. soul yeah. you've, you're carrying at the time. Okay, that's pretty cool. So it does, yeah, it does sound pretty cool. Mm. I just haven't had a chance to play one yet. Mm. I mean, keeping in the D&D vein... Have you seen the uh, Coffee and Chaos? I've seen something about it. <laughs> it makes me want to hurt myself. 
Well, that's just because you worked in hospitality for so long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it would be like the worst thing for you to possibly do. But essentially, for those of you out there listening that haven't got a clue what we're talking about right now, um, Coffee and Chaos is a <laughs> an RPG that lets your D&D characters run a cafe and uses cutlery instead of dice. I've run too many cafes and restaurants and bars in my time to even... The, if I'm ever with a GM and they pull this shit, it's like, right, that's it. My character's dead. See you later. <laughs> but what's cool as all well is like there's actually rules in this game. So instead of creating a new character, there's rules for converting your current hero into this game's stats. So like converting your like intelligence into whatever the equivalent is when you're in a kitchen. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even know. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's just a big bundle of silly um, by the looks of it. And yeah, the full game is available digitally on a, a couple paths HIO page. And there is also a physical version. Um, available via uh, Let's Pledge on GameFound campaign. So I'm just having a look at the the cutlery-based system of knives, forks, and spoons mm-hmm. as resource tokens and tackle prompted obstacles as a team, such as handling a rush hour of impish demons or exhuming a ghost that's currently haunting the supply closet. <laughs> Each character can approach the problem as they choose using different cutlery tokens to represent a straightforward brute force technique or perhaps a less conventional solution that leans into the catastrophe as an unplanned opportunity. Yeah, so it looks like knives are, you take a direct approach to the problem. Fork is creative. Yep, and spoons are a considered approach. <laughs> but oh. there's, there's two spoons. There's spoon and then there's teaspoon. What does the teaspoon do? Uh, I don't know. See, damn it, these are the things we need to know. Uh, How much is this game? (laughs) $15. Ah, fuck that, I'm not paying that. (laughs) Well, this is the cool thing though, right? Because it converts, and it's not just D&D, it it will work converting from any, like, you can convert Pathfinder characters into this as well. Um... It allows the characters to retain all of their quirks from any other games they might be in. So your druid can still wild shape, your street samurai still has their cyber arm. <laughs> but when taken out of their element, the focus is now on how they, how they use those skills and abilities to solve problems. Or accidentally make things worse. <laughs> I, think, I think it's one of those things that'll be really fun to have on your shelf and like just randomly throw the party into like a dream sequence or something stupid like that. This to me seems like one of those things that is marketed as an RPG, but is really just a board game in disguise. It's like, a, it's a board game that you play with like your, with your, yeah, with your, yeah, with your RPG been a, characters. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a few that we've kind of looked at recently and it's like, that sounds more like a board game mm. than an RPG. This is one of those that, yeah, you it, it 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 is like you said. It's a board game that you can kind of apply to your yeah. your current RPG. There is no way I'm ever going to do that in my game. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to subject 
my players to the service industry, considering a lot of them still work in the service industry. Yeah, yeah. That's a valid point. <laughs> so, yeah, not happening. <laughs> but I'm sure, you know, somebody who's never had the displeasure of putting up with arseholes day in and day out <laughs> will probably get a kick out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's one of those things that it, it could also be quite funny to, like, um, have your your BBEG, like, put them into this, and it's not like, it's like an illusion that they're in this situation, right? And, like, at the end of the dinner rush, they all just wake up, and they're like, oh, it was just a bad dream, okay. But was it? <laughs> I've actually had, not, obviously, not using fucking cafes as a premise, but I've had, like, similar sort of ideas mm. to, to do with players. Um so maybe that'll happen to them in this campaign. Maybe it'll happen to him in another <laughs> one. But I'm, I'm thinking I'm not going to put him in a fucking cafe there. <laughs> I'm not that much of a bastard. You've changed. <laughs> oh no, no, dude! Not even in my height of evilness would I do that. <laughs> I would not subject anyone to that level of torture. <laughs> oh, I mean. Speaking of things that are quite torturous. Ah, ah. Uh, yeah, um, there is a Kickstarter at the moment for something called Monstrous. I don't know if you've seen this. Okay. It is a reference for us GM lot. That is system agnostic, which is always lovely. So it's not, you know, something that Oh, I don't play 5e, I can't can't get that. Um that basically has a bunch of stuff for monsters. I've seen this, yeah. Mm. This is interesting. So it's got things like a whole page about liches, about dragons, brutes, celestials, and like so much like lore and, and all of this really cool things that you can do with this particular monster and all that to kind of enhance your story and make them a, a, a more enriched villain rather than just it's a it's it's lich eight of this campaign, right? And yeah, it seems to be that it gives you like the the sort of established abilities mm. of each monster for you to then translate into the mechanics of your choice. Yes. So you know, uh, just having a look at the lich. I'm, it, I'm having to zoom in, and I can't really well, make out a lot. If you scroll down a little bit further, where am I scrolling down? Oh, there's a preview, which is a free PDF, <laughs> and we love free PDFs. We love free PDFs. See, it's already gone. It's already, uh, um, you know, in- increased in stock in my <laughs> download now. Name your own price. Okay, that will be looked at. Yes. I'm gonna, I am going to be quite interested in, in looking at that. Um, because it is... I, I think it's, it's something that a lot of us sometimes struggle with because obviously you get you get your monster manual or your bestiary or whatever it's called in the particular system you play, right? They're all the same book, let's be honest. Um, and you look at that and it, it's a, 
you end up just throwing the same lich at them all the time, or the same skeletons like Steve. Um, you know, you, it, it just gets a bit not repetitive. That's that's probably the wrong word, but it, predictable is probably the best word for it. Um, and you know, w- with something like this, where you can mix it up a little bit, um, the the lich is actually the one that's in the free PDF, by the way. How is it? Yes, I've I've downloaded it and I'm looking at it now. It's really oh, cool. it's really cool. Um, so it gives you like a like a Mad Libs um, style thing. So fill in the following blanks and add bonus abilities to create uh, a form of the lich. So it it literally does let you give you like the the foundation to build your own lich that you're going to use for this this encounter. Right. So it's like aspiration. The lich's entire will bends toward blank. Uh, a goal that will take countless mortal lifetimes to achieve, which is why they became a lich. So you need to fill in the blank for why this guy decided to become a lich. Um, Eternal Mastery. The lich is the founder of the arcane school of blank and the most sacred mysteries of blank. So by filling all of this in, you start to get a a very rich character that is going to fill the villain role of that particular arc of the story, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it does sound cool. It, it sounds like something that's quite handy. Mm. Um, you know, because uh, in in second edition, I do build a lot of my own monsters. Mm. Um, and because it, the, the system kind of is designed for that, for, for you to have that ability. Yeah. Um, but it would be good to sometimes have some guidance. Yeah, um, and, and because I think that's exactly I, what this is for. Yeah, so I think I think it does take a lot from like um, folklore and stuff, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. Looking at this, yeah, because um, it also gives you things like prepare the way. So uh, that means uh, on this particular one, the lich has a cult devoted to them. Every seven days, the lich's cult is left unopposed by the PCs. The cult may take one of the following actions, and it gives you stuff that the cult is doing in the background. Oh, that's cool. So especially for someone who builds worlds the way you do, where things are happening. Like you've said this countless times on the show, if you ignore it, shit is still going to happen. They're still doing stuff. This gives you the things that they they could be doing in the background, so it, it helps you with that sort of thing as well. So you are making me. You are actually doing a really good job of selling this. To be honest, honestly, dude, I'm very tempted to buy this myself. It it, it looks. I mean, just looking at the lich alone, I think it's worth it. Um, because it's even got like a, a how to use this book page. So, number one is you focus on what makes each monster unique. We ask what uniquely makes each monster what it is, what it does, and what is what it's motivated by that will impact the stories they appear in. We steer away from prescriptive blocks of trivia and lore, instead concentrating on the motivations and abilities that make for an engrossing game. Which I think is really cool, because let's be honest, when you get to a villain, nobody gives a shit what the lore is, nobody gives a shit what their stat block is, you need a hook that makes people want to kill them <laughs> or stop them or join them even if, if that ends up being the case. Um, and this is the, this is what it's, it's designed to give you is that, that extra bits, which is quite cool. Mm. Uh, easy to use worksheets, which is like the Mad Libs thing that I just went through. Uh, each monster includes a straightforward fill in the blanks worksheet that provides the structure for GMs to quickly and easily create the monster that will fit perfectly in their world. Uh, creating multiple evocative forms of each monster. For each worksheet, this book provides three completed forms, specific and highly evocative 
versions of the monster i can't read today for some reason uh, <laughs> these forms are stateless and can be readily overlaid onto the mechanics of your game of choice so they even give you three like pre-gened like monsters um, and then they also give you the tools to create your own um, and then putting fresh spins on classical archetypes so the classics are classics for a reason and we've boiled them to their essence that being said, they often feel stale to old hands who have seen literally what I was just saying. They feel stale because um, you see the same things over and over. So each of our monsters features surprising twists that will bring back the fear and awe of encountering them for the first time. It literally is what I said was the issue, and they've listed it as one of the reasons that they created this book. Yeah, it does sound sound really, mm. really interesting. Um, currently on Kickstarter, I think they're on about 30,000 of um, 59,000 gold, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep. And now they are $20 richer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised. That would yep, get me goblins kick- cash. <laughs> I've kickstarted it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just looking through the rest. While you, were to- while you were talking, it was like, okay, so I'm just spinning it together. I did look at getting the um, like the, the hardcover, but mm. it's going to be another $30 for, yeah. um, for sending. And, you know, I'd happily give these guys $45 for, for a buck. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm not doing the $30 sending. <laughs> so I'm getting the PDF instead. Oh, that's fair. You know, twenty dollars gets you a PDF. It's a form fillable PDF as well. Mm. So yeah, that should be. Um, I think July twenty twenty four. That is going oh, to be fulfilled. I, I'm just looking at the international dragons horde um, tier, which is like the the top tier, apart from the merchant one. Yeah, gets you uh, the hardcover cloth bound gold foil special edition of monstrous. And a forty tarot card deck of all the monsters, ten core and thirty forms. The form fillable monstrous PDF with alternative text comes with it for free. This tier also comes with all the unlockable freebie stretch goals. And oh, how much is that? Ninety five dollars, so seventy six pound. That's not bad. That's really not bad. No, no, that's not bad at all. Mm, it's, oh, it's my birthday soon. Uh, I might have to get I've done the tw- I've done the twenty dollars. <laughs> so there is a button to here that. to edit my pledge. <laughs> oh, oh, what a shame! I've ordered the International Dragon Horde now. How did that happen? <laughs> international Wizards, the Dragon's Horde, International Dragon's Horde. It's currently eighty-four pages long. So, so it'd be one hundred twenty-five dollars. Um, Mm. Just to get that, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my 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 twenty dollars thing. Yeah, um, I'm gonna be sensible. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna be stupid. That's not like you. I know, I know. That's it. I've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> um, and technically, it's not a game. So no, no, it is not a game. It does not break it's your not. thing because this is which I this is still a, have not it, broken. It, I'm still doing really well. It would be a supplement to any game that you have already. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that that is awesome. And I think I'm going to put that onto the watch list. Yeah, definitely. 
because that is a um, very I'll, intriguing thing. I'll certainly be watching it because I've mm. pledged the fucking thing. Yes, yes, you have. But speaking of the watch list. Ooh, have we got some new stuff on the watch list? Or is it something we've already got on the watch list? It's something we've already got on the watch list. Ooh, talk to me. Dreams and Machines. Yeah, that kind of fell off my radar a tiny bit. It's back. What's been going on? They've opened pre-orders. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> That's why I was so happy you were making a big thing about keeping your... <laughs> you can pre-order Dreams and Machines right now. <laughs> Although technically... Right, technically speaking... Mm-hmm. Blades in the Dark was on my list. Right? Yes. I have now played Blades in the Dark. Well, then, yeah, then technically you're allowed. You're allowed to Technically, buy. I am allowed. Yes. Technically, I'm allowed. Um, I don't know whether I'm, I don't know whether I should or not. Um, well, I've got a few modifious games that mm. I haven't played. <laughs> One of them just happens to be very similar to Blades in the Dark, which is weird. <laughs> well, the Game Master's Guide gives you the rules and tools to immerse yourself and your players into the history and setting of Avera Prime, the world that Dreams of Machines is saying. Challenge your players with mutants and mechs alike while traveling the beautiful but dangerous landscape of this colony world. The book is 240 pages packed with full color art bringing the world to life. A detailed guide to the history and secrets of Avera Prime, a map, we love a map, and guide to the region around New Mosgrove, information on the wider continent of Nadresida. Everything you need to lead your players in creating memorable stories in the world, including a deep dive into the playable factions and peoples of Avera Prime. Detailed briefs on the Thralls, the Wakers, the Builder, and the Dark City. Guidance for the GM on running scenes and advice on core mechanics like skill tests, truths, threat, hazards, action scenes, spirit economy, and creating and running NPCs. I, I read all that like they're very common things. Some of those sound very interesting. Um, and a host of challenging enemies. It. Rules to your own wakers. Yeah, this is a big fucking swing for them. Um. And a complete starting adventure. Yeah, this is a huge swing, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, uh... And all of that, that whole, all of that is in the Game Master's Guide, right? The Game mm-hmm. Master's Guide is £35. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's just a reasonable awesome. price. Yeah. Um, um, the starter set is 30 quid, and that also has a campaign, like a, not a campaign, like a, yeah, like an adventure. Well, actually, no, they, they've said that it carries on from the events of the campaign and the Dreams of Machine starter set. So if you were to buy the starter set, run that, that would lead directly into the adventure path that is in the back of the Game Master's Guide as well. That's mm. really cool. I like that. Yeah, it's... And the artwork looks so good. <laughs> I think I think for me, I'm going to keep it on the watch list. Um, I'm not going to invest in it just yet. I'm so tempted. Um, it looks so pretty. I think just because I've got so much that I need to to kind of focus on yeah. in the immediate that I don't want to start thinking about new things. Ooh. I will kind of 
keep it on the watch list though and just kind of see I'm, how it lands. I'm, I'm going to say something that might swing you. Go on then. So even though this is a pre-order, right, and shipping is expected to start end of October this year, mm-hmm. pre-order customers will automatically be sent the final PDFs as soon as they're available. So as soon as that PDF is finalized and they're like, yep, that's the one we're taking a print, it'll be in your inbox. So. So, right. So just just (laughs) hypothetically speaking, Mm -hmm. if I were to buy the Game Master's Guide, Uh I'd get the PDF for free. Yes. And you get the PDF as soon as it was finished. Uh, well, fuck. <laughs> now, I'm going to behave myself. Or yeah, you can get then. the uh, Dreams and Machine Quick Start Guide in PDF for free right now on their store. I've already got that. I already downloaded that and looked into it. Or for a tenner, you could buy the starter set PDF and then you just don't get the book. I don't know. I mean, starter sets, I... I don't know. The only starter set I've ever bought was the Avatar starter set. Mm-hmm. And that was more of a fiscal sort of decision. Yeah. Because it was the starter set, the physical copy. I got a digital copy of it for free and 50% off the digital copy of the core rule book. That's pretty cool. So it was like for the 25 quid, I got all this. So, you know, that's the only reason I kind of focused on the starter set and because I want to play it with my son. Yeah. So I figured the starter set would be a good, good sort of point. introduction. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, starter sets I, I normally well, don't really do, to be honest. That's fair. In that case, then, yeah, the, the Game Master's Guide, £35. You'll get the PDF as soon as it's available, and then they'll ship the books uh, towards the end of next month. God damn it. Um, and the Player's Guide is also £35, and they will also ship the PDF as soon as they're available. But I'm assuming if you've got the Game Master's Guide, you will have everything that's in the Player's Guide? Um, I don't think so. I think it's a bit like the, uh, you know, like the, the old, like D&D books and the old um, Pathfinder first edition books, where the DMG, in 5e anyway, the DMG gives you a lot more behind-the-scenes stuff for what players can be doing. Um, and the Player's Guide is more like in-depth classes and stuff like that. Um, So the player's guide is 208 pages guiding you through the core rules, character creation, the history of the world, um, and the state of the world as it stands now, everything you need to create your own stories. So actually, maybe you just need the player's guide. I don't know if you need the DMG. So that would be like the advanced... um, Yeah. So like the game mastery guide for Pathfinder. Exactly that, yeah. Where you've got everything you've got in the... Like the core rule book just is the starting point. And then yeah. obviously the game mastery guide oh, wait. gives you additional rules. No. And- so it says at the bottom of the player's guide requires the Dreams and Machines Game Master's Guide. So I think you need the Game Master's Guide. You could play a game with just the Game Master's Guide. Um, but then when you start getting more into it, you get the player's guide because that's got like extra archetypes and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to still be good. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be good and hold out, and to be honest, and see how it lands. Mm. It does look you know? it does look really good. 
And I'm hoping it does look really I'm good. Hoping it lives and up to what it looks like. Exactly, and it is a big swing um, because they're kind of wanting to to kickstart a an entire IP from this. Yes. So yeah, fingers crossed it does it does play out, and you never know. I may wake up tomorrow and change my mind entirely. Um, <laughs> but I've got something else. I've got my eyes on first mm. to purchase. But yeah, definitely interested. Mm. Definitely staying on the watch list. Yes, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just just looking in the interest of time, I believe you had a topic that you wanted to have a little chatty chat about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's because I'm like currently building a world, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um. And I've been looking at ways to involve the players in the creation of the world. Yeah. I mean, it's not the, I'm not the first person to ever do this. I'm I'm sure I'm never going to be, I'm not going to be the last, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something that I have only done in limited capacity. Yeah. For example, they're in a city and someone goes, oh, we want to go to a tavern and I don't have anything written down. I go, oh, yeah, just, you know, give me the name of the tavern. Yeah. And they'll come up with a name. And then that becomes canonic. That becomes part of the world. And, oh, so what's this NPC called? And, you know, you just kind of give your players a tiny bit of agency. Yeah. And I think, in a sense, that can be quite good because they do have this sense of agency they do have this immediate connection to the world that you're providing so they they tend to be a bit more invested yeah i can see that so i just wanted i just kind of wanted to kind of figure out how much mm. how much how much world building should be collaborative yeah, and how much is too much as well? Yeah. What do you think? Um, I think it's a tricky one. I mean, I, I agree. I, I like to to get some input. And I also, like, as a player, um, I like it if, especially if it's, like, a, a town that, like, my character's from or something like that, to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to my, my regular. Oh, okay, well, what's that called? Oh, it's this. Because it, it, it kind of feels a bit more like it is my character's regular then. Because, like, he knows the name of the place. He knows the bartender. He knows, you know. So I think in those sorts of situations, like, it's quite nice um, to be able to have that if they've, like, created a bit of a a backstory for a, a, a tavern that they're going to, um, just to, to carry on along that, that vein. Um, whether it would be creating an entire town, that, that could also work if it's, like, their hometown. You could sit with them, maybe not like in session with everyone else, because that could be quite boring for the rest of the players. Um, but in like a little one-on-one session, you could sit down with them and actually like flesh out their hometown um, and then maybe introduce it. Like you guys go there at some point in the campaign or something like that. That's quite cool because they they will have a connection to that town, right? Because they help build it. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to be like one of those things because it, it's something that I've had happen to me a few times where I've I've written out the backstory for my character, I've sent it to the DM, and then they've not not like ignored it, but then they've given like some other reason for 
something that's already explained in my backstory. And it's like, well, it kind of, it's a bit jarring because then you're like, well, why did I spend all that time writing that backstory if you're just going to change it? That's why I encourage people not to write backstories. Yeah, well, uh, to be fair, normally I don't. You know that, but I was asked to, and that that was the annoying part. Yeah, is if you ask I mean, for a backstory and then ignore it, what was the fucking point? Yeah, no. Um, I used to. I used to kind of, yeah. You need your backstory. You need to know your character and all this. But then I kind of realized that a lot of the backstory gets ignored anyway. Yeah. So my thing for people's characters are just give me some broad strokes. Just give me, you know, why you're adventuring. Was there a tragedy or was it something mm. something else that prompted you? If those things ever become start to become relevant, that's when we'll sit down and have a conversation and just kind of go, right, what could have this been? What did you yeah. have in mind? Well, I mean, it, it goes back to um, like the, oh, I don't remember what episode it was now, but when we, when we spoke about character creation, I said that I've got those like questions that I always ask about my character when I'm building it. Yeah. Essentially, it's those questions, right? You just give like little short answers for each of those questions, and then you've got a rough idea of their life. Um, yeah. And then you, if, like you say, if something in that becomes relevant, then the DM can sit down with you and be like, oh, okay, so let, let's just flesh this bit out a bit more because I've got some ideas and I want to run them by you. Because at the end of the day, I think it's important that we remember that these characters are theirs, right? They're, they're in our story. They're in our world. But it's their characters. Yeah, but I mean, you've always got the element of collaborative storytelling. Yeah. Um, and in in the same vein that their characters are theirs in the world, there's also I think there's also room for the world being what their characters are helping to shape. Yeah. And what they can help to shape, which is kind of where my mind is at regarding this, um, this like upcoming project. Mm. So I've got like the basic idea of a city. Yeah, it is a cyberpunk city that is exists in a gigantic subterranean cavern. Mm. They have not seen the light of day in thousands of years. Yes. And because it's too dangerous, they cannot go up. Think like the Zion in the Matrix. Yeah. But a bit more mega city, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And so that's the basic premise. So what I was thinking is probably getting the players before we actually start the campaign and kind of go, right, let's build this city. And for that, there are some tools which... I was first put onto via the Adventure Zone. It's a tabletop role-playing podcast hosted by the McElroy brothers. Mm-hmm. And for their for one of their seasons, they did this game where they basically spent three, four, five sessions, however long, playing this game. And this game was called The Quiet Year. Mm. And the game is is designed to to create a world. So, you know, it would, the whole concept of the game would be what happens during the course of a year after an apocalypse. Okay. And every month, some cards are drawn, which are prompts. And you kind of go around the table and you get this prompt. And 
and you basically add to the world. So I was kind of researching that today and, you know, kind of looking into it. And apparently, from what I can tell, there are quite a few of these games that just focus on world building. There's the Quiet Year, Microscope, mm. Kingdom, the ground itself. I'm sorry, did you say Street Magic? <laughs> the Deep Forest. <laughs> I'm sorry. And that's the best name ever. <laughs> well, ironically, that's the one I've been kind of looking into the most. <laughs> because that is that is designed to build a city. Mm. So I've been kind of looking into that. Um I See, when I said I had my eye on something... It was this. It was this. So I'm, I may actually purchase this. And when we get closer to, to starting the game, just kind of go, right, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to design the city. You are going to have agency in this city. That's and it also, cool. for me, a benefit of it is it takes away a lot of the exposition. Mm-hmm. If your characters have helped you create the slums of a city where this nightclub exists, then they're all automatically going to know about that. Yeah, it, it kind of takes away that whole thing of sitting there that first session and going like, so this is the city, this is what the city guard are like, these are the rules, don't break them or the city guard will come. Because like, like you say, they helped you put all that together, so they're going to know the ins and outs of it, which they would if they were, you know natives to that place they they would know that the drawback i'm seeing will be that i think certain elements will be harder to hide yeah um but i think as long as they understand that they help me create the sort of framework and then what happens after that i'm able to take any sort of liberties i'd i'd like or any sort of liberties i think would fit yeah, it will be, will be the, necessary. The, the setting a bit better. Yeah. Then I think that, I think it could be quite a cool way to start a campaign. Yeah, I think that is quite cool. I quite like that. So, yes, I am not going to buy Dreams and Machines. Instead, I'm going to buy, I'm sorry, <laughs> did you say Street Magic? <laughs> oh, it's still the best name ever. <laughs> and I am happy, if you want, when you do your board game night, I'm happy to bring it round. Yeah, man, that'd be sick. Yeah, we can, we can build and the world. a few of us can sit around and just build a weird city. We can, we can build some cities for our system. How about that? Yes, we can. Our system. The yeah, we need to actually. We do. We need to sit down and write more about, about that because we've got some great I, ideas so far. But we need. And to, I've had more thoughts so since I. we last yeah, spoke. So, I. So, so I think yeah, we need but, to definitely okay, sit down was, and iron those out before we. Stop. Yeah, there was something about the crits that was bugging me, but I think I've fixed it. Cool. But yeah, we'll we'll sit we'll down and, and talk yeah. about that. <laughs> but I do think it might be time now to go to the couch. Uh, let's go take a seat. Let's go take a seat on the couch. Has anyone contacted you? No. Yeah. I don't know. Your, your, yeah, your buddy Sci-Fi is. He's, uh, he's letting me down, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess it's summer holidays. Yeah. Well, no, the kids are back now, aren't they? Yeah, but he may be still on hot. He may be. Oh on yeah, true, true, He may true. have gone away. Done a runner. All right. <laughs> so I have got two questions. Oh, lovely. Okay, I have one from Couch. Shock horror. Shock horror. Did not see that coming. Couch, who is writing to us from the tears of every orphan. 
Oh, took a dark turn oh, into good old that, Captain that, that hits close to home. He took, yeah, he took a dark turn. Oh, I'm adopted, and I. Mm. I mean, he knows that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a conversation you're going to have to have with oh, him. Oh, I'm going to go slap him. That's no, fine. I don't mind. He knows that. <laughs> okay, so this is an interesting one. Okay. All right, so when it comes to rules and mechanics, how flexible do you think players can be in your games? Some rules are made to be followed, while others can be bent to suit a need sometimes. How far would or have you let it go? Um, I mean, for me, it, it, it always goes back to the rule of cool, right? That's probably the, the, the method I use most for bending rules to fit things, um, I would say. Um, I, honestly, I think the only time I've ever really done something that broke the rules um, was Chris's moment where he held an action and the way that that should work is then it changes his uh, like turn in the, in the order. Um, but because of what he wanted to do, it was so cool and such a clever um, like way of getting around things that I didn't want to take that away. Right. Cause it, it was a really cool thing. So essentially what they'd done was they were going through this like sewer um, and they got to this junction in the sewer and there was two of those like artery slots. Um, so he got the paladin to block one with his shield so that they couldn't take, get shot from that one. And then the other one, he was just holding his turn until the archer inside it like knocked an arrow. And then as soon as he did, he just mage handed the arrow away. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm not going to take that away just by being like, just to go, well, you know, according to the rules, that's not, that can't do that. I was like, that's, that's pretty clever, like, workaround for it. So I'm I'm going to allow it. That's probably the most broken I've let things get, which isn't that broken. I I dislike rule of course. I know you do. I do. I do not like it. Um, don't get me wrong. I I'm, will happily bend rules for players. You know, especially if it is something cool, but I hazard to call it rule of cool because it creates an expectation. Yeah. That a player thinks, oh, what I want to do is cool, so it should be allowed. No, it fucking shouldn't. It'll be allowed if I decide it's allowed. And you always kind of get some grumbles from that, but you know me, I don't give a shit. Um, In terms of players being flexible... I find that players are very flexible when it comes to rules that benefit them. <laughs> when it comes to rules that working against them, holy shit, do they stick to the rules. <laughs> like, drastically. <laughs> oh, and Pert's the, all of a sudden, everybody comes becomes a fucking expert. Uh, because, you see, on page 35, it says this. And it's, okay, so when that works... In your favour, then I'm going to remember this. Mm. And I have done that to players. I have done that to, you know, they've, they've, for the want of a better word, bitched about something that I've attempted to do. So I've kind of rolled it back and my words to them was, this is going to bite you in the arse. Mm. You know, if this is the way you want it, fair enough, but it will bite you in the arse. And I have waited. And then further down the line, when a similar 
situation has arisen. On the other hand, I've gone, oh, do you remember that day? Well, this is where it's biting you. <laughs> because, yeah, again, players are very flexible when it comes to rules that benefit them. And they expect me to be so as well. But when it's something that that doesn't benefit them, that's when they get the rule books out and start quoting precedents and, and all that. So, you know, I think it's to be expected. Mm. You know, um, players are by their very nature adversarial. Yeah. So they are going against the GM. That's, that's the essence of being a player. The GM shouldn't never go against the players, but, you know, it's the other way around that it kind of works. So they will. They will. As soon as they see something that doesn't benefit them, they will start pulling out every rule under the sun. And the GM has to have enough um, savvy to be able to either roll that thing back if, if the player's right and not dig in. Or be able to at least respond and kind of say, no, you are misinterpreting that. Yeah. You know, I, I always bend the rules, or should I say 90% of the time, I'll bend the rules in favour of the players. Mm. When I bend the rules against the players, it is as a result of a prior conversation. Because I'll say, right, guys, this is a bit unprecedented. Here's what I'm thinking. You may not like it, but give me your opinions. This is how I think it's fair. Yeah. And then they'll kind of say yes or no. If it's a case of something that's going to benefit the players, yeah, fuck it, let them have it. See, but when the when the players start pulling out rule books because it's well, something that they don't benefit. When when the players start pulling out rule books, um, at least in Five E, I don't know about in Pathfinder, um, I just point them to the players' handbook, page six. Um. And this is my rules lawyer coming out now, uh, where it quite clearly states, ultimately, the dungeon master is the authority on the campaign and its setting, even if the setting is a published world. <laughs> so it, in the books, Wizards basically went, no DM, DM gets to choose. It's DM's choice. No, but I mean, that's <laughs> true. That's true in all, in all systems. Oh, yeah. And I agree with that. But at the same time... Um, I advise caution. Oh, absolutely! Against taking yeah, that stance yeah, yeah. because you it have to can it right. get to a point <laughs> of go- yeah. It, you have to do it right, or you have to be so convinced. I think the key is consistency, right? As long as you consistently rule it the same way, it's fine. If you rule it one way for the players and another way for you, then it's or or even one way for player A and a different way for player B and then a different way for player C, that's when it gets a bit, uh, what? Um, I think as long as it's consistent and it makes sense, then it's fine. Yeah, um, and it, but in terms of like the, the, the player side of it, which is kind of what couches mm. is, is querying, um, I I don't go too far away from the books. I don't go too far away from the established rules. Yeah. Um, again, on occasion, they'll do something that sounds like fun in the time, and yeah, all right, fuck it. 
you know, let, let's kind of bend the rules slightly. But for the most part, to kind of keep a level playing field, it's, okay, so this is what the book says, this is what I'm going to hold you to. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really... I don't really let them bet, and especially when they're not, especially when they're somehow misinterpreting rules in their favor, which is always an accident, obviously. <laughs> and when you kind of go, no, no, this is how that works. And, oh, 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 yeah, well, I meant this. It's like, oh, come on. I wasn't fucking born yesterday and stopped pretending I was. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I kind of try stick to the rules as closely as possible. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the safest way to do it as well, because then you are always consistent. Exactly. Exactly. If it's a homebrew rule, write it down, because if not, you're going to forget. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So another question. Uh This is from The Shadow of the Couch. Oh. Who's writing from wherever the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> Which is a euphemism for his ass, right? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. This is, uh, I think this is more my wheelhouse, though. Okay. Um, in regards to horror, oh, yeah. you touched on it briefly before. What do you do to really set that sort of atmosphere? Horror-style tabletop role-playing games have set rules but for non-specific systems, how do you give the sense of dread and horror? I, how would you go about that first and foremost? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole, uh, purely because I don't know enough about it to try. Um, it's one of those things that I would end up just falling back to, like some kind of horror film trope or something like that, which just wouldn't work. Um, so I just wouldn't. I wouldn't try. If I'm being completely honest. No, that's absolutely fair. Um, I find horror easy. Because you're a scary guy. (laughs) (laughs) I am. No, um, I I find it easy. Um, I find it easy because, unlike other sort of emotions at the table, Mm. which are either sporadic or they are forced, in a sense. Yeah. Horror is something that you can create naturally quite easily. Um, for example, let's let's say excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, excitement, adrenaline. You know, that can happen in in a combat where everything's kind of going wrong, but all of a sudden you get that one dice roll which turns the tables of the combat, and you know it, it creates this sense of excitement, this this sort of rush of adrenaline. That is a hard thing to replicate. Yeah. That is a hard thing to to kind of enforce on players and kind of go, no, no, you have to be excited about this. You, It's not something that you can do easily. You can create it. It can be kind of created with, with meta sort of prompts. But I find horror much easier to do. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, because fear is a very sort of natural reaction. Mm. 
So, and I, and I wrote about it in the blog a couple of weeks back that it can be like using little bits of meta knowledge just to engage in their paranoia. Do you remember that, like the Delta Green game that we played mm. where Adam said, nothing's fucking happened, but I'm terrified. Yes. And that, and that's true. Nothing had happened, but there was a meta sort of we, we knew something was about to <laughs> awareness of yeah. <laughs> we are in a, a horror system yeah and everything seems normal that is not right well i guess it's a bit like what you're saying about uh when they got to this idyllic little town and then they're slowly starting to see that it's not so idyllic it's gonna start creating the well just just how fucked up is this place um, yeah. as they uncover yeah, I mean, more and more of how it's not what they initially thought. Yeah, I've been leaning into that. And mm. the way the way I do horror is I do it in increments. Yeah. So they'll come to the town and maybe they'll see something that's off. Maybe a day later, something will happen, mm. which will kind of reinforce what they saw. the previous experience. Yeah. And then I will build upon that. So they've come they've come into this town, right? They're currently in this world where there is a malady. Um, there is a bleed from the realm of Abaddon that's creating this dark, sinister cloud which is which has been growing ever since early on in the campaign. Mm. It is now spanning an entire continent and a half. And under this cloud, it is essentially the the effects of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm. It is killing the crops as pestilence that is creating famine, um, which is then creating war between factions and ultimately creating death. Mm. So they are now heading back into this cloud. Yeah. So they've come across this town. And the first thing that they've noticed is this ta- the cloud above them avoids this town entirely. There is literally a circle in the sky above them. And that was the first hint. Yeah, that's weird. Because they walked <laughs> in and went, okay, so if this is happening, it's either something really good or really fucking bad. Yeah. So then I've kind of started leaning on... Without giving too much away, I'm, I'm just going to kind of reveal what the players have discovered. Mm. The players have discovered that it is an idyllic town. Everyone's really friendly. Everyone's really happy. There is a family in town who seem to be heralded, who seem to be sort of the, the, the most popular people. Mm-hmm. They kind of walk into a place and everybody's buying them drinks and all this. And, you know... Everyone's really friendly to them. Everyone's really happy and, and when they're about. And the, the, the players have latched on to this particular family. Yeah. And it was early on when one of them kind of went, do you think they're kind of fattening up the goose? <laughs> and it turns out that this family aren't originally from the town. They met a townsperson miles away who said, oh, just come, just come to our town, this, that, and the other. And they've been given the biggest house, and they've uh, been, you know, they've been... That reminds me of a Supernatural episode. Mm, possibly. I may have drawn some inspiration. <laughs> um, and another thing, um, one of the characters went for a wander in the town, and they saw this little blonde kid mm. 
who kind of ran away when when they were spotted. So he followed the blanket had disappeared, but he ended up in the cemetery. And he's noticed that over the course of about eight years, entire families have died oh, in consecutive years. Okay. All right. So they're kind of putting these things together now. Yeah. So I am kind of leaning on that. Plus, there's also been a couple of attacks that have happened where everything seems to pause. Mm. You know, everything other than the players pauses, even that, like, the trees stop moving mm. and all of a sudden they're attacked. Once the moment the fight's over, everything goes back to normal. The players are where they were before the fight started. Yeah. Their injuries aren't noticed by anybody. Right. Okay. And so I'm like building, like adding layers yeah. as the players investigate. Oh, that's cool. I like that. And it is creating a genuine sense of paranoia. It's creating a genuine sense of fear mm. because it is, it, fear is easily translated. And adding in certain elements, like they were in the town and I just put on some spooky music. Yeah. Just in the background, without saying anything, I just put it on. I may have left a token on the map for when they logged in. <laughs> they saw it and I went, oh, shit, yeah, you weren't meant to see that. <laughs> just to kind of create this added level of paranoia. And, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've horror is my forte in, in, in gaming. Yeah. And I do create an atmosphere. And I think that's that's half the battle with um with with horror yeah. elements. Creating the correct atmosphere. Mm. Yeah. No, that, I, I get that. I think that's that's where I, I struggle because that's not really um a, an area that is like um what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like a, a zone I'm comfortable in entirely. Hmm. Um, and I guess that's kind of the point of it. Um, like so that, that, that is the point of horror is you're supposed to be in a zone you're not comfortable in. Um, I guess. Yeah. It's just take some time to, to dive in a bit more at some point. I'm sure. Well, I'll I'll run you through some Delta Green. Yeah, I love Delta Green. You know those are those are good, good horror mysteries. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that that's going to be imminent because I do need to start planning for impossible landscapes. Mm. But yeah, so I think that's about all we've got time for tonight. Yes. All right. Um, thank you, Couch and the Shadow of the Couch, <laughs> for sending in two fantastic questions. Mm -hmm. um, they were really really cool. Um, thanks to you for spending some time with me this evening. You're very welcome. Do you want to tell the people where they are able to find you? Yes. So you lovely folk can find me uh, over at Justin Accurate TV on most social media platforms. Um, and I'm also streaming a bit more regularly now over on Twitch and stuff as well. Fantastic. Mm. Um, as for me, you can find me at Natural Juan on most of the social media sites. Um, you can find us both in our Facebook group. Yeah. 
um, which, you know, pop in, say hello, tell us what you like, tell us what you disliked. Um, and other than that, thanks to everyone who's spent time out of their valuable day just listening to two idiots waffle on about tabletop role-playing games. And we will see you next time.